Ray Kennedy. Welcome to the Candelo Roadshow Radio Hour. This is a show about stories. Stories of searching, stories of living, stories of home. It's a show about stories because stories are the thing that we all have in common. They are the breadcrumb trails left for us and by us, lines that help us find our way to each other, to where we've come from, and to who we are. We all need stories. And this is a show about community, as it is seen and felt and imagined by a ragtag group of songwriters and storytellers who all happen to find themselves living in the same one, on land that belongs to the UN nation, the small country town we call Candelo. Thanks for being here. This is where our stories entwine. I'm sitting outside on my porch in between rainstorms. The air is muggy. The sun is breaking through. The sky keeps changing her mind about what she wants to do. The geese that live across the gully are riled up about something. Overhead, the contrast of a flying white cockatoo against the gray-blue of the sky is so stunning. I am looking out over the road past the creek, up the tree-spotted hill, to the peaks of the range that spread across the horizon. A range that right now is dressed in cobalt blue with wispy white clouds around the collar. Every day I look out at this same view. The creek, the hill, the range, the sky. I spend a fair bit of time watching the world around me seeing what there is to see, and every day I see something new. The world right in front, around, beneath me, holds enough to keep my curiosity pretty satisfied. We live in a time when there are tourists heading to outer space. We are discovering more about the mysteries that live in the depths of the ocean. We can climb mountain peaks on our holidays, search out remote wilderness spaces so we can post them on Instagram. For just over a grand, you can fly over Antarctica for the day, view from your seat one of the world's last great wildernesses, and be back in your own bed to go to sleep. In this episode, we are exploring the idea of the hinterland, those spaces that lay beyond what is visible or known. Our stories today lean into some of those wonderings and wild-edged places. The worlds that sit past the coastline, the mountain range, the terrains we can't quite map or explain. Sometimes I can't help but wonder how many hinterlands even exist anymore. Us humans can be so driven to experience and understand. We have a tendency to put our footprints over everything we can. 
1975, Alexandra Seddon climbed off the back of a motorcycle and found herself standing on an 830-acre stretch of land at the foot of two mountains on Ewan country just outside the village of Candelow. That land grew into a community farm and wildlife sanctuary known as Cow's Nest, a refuge for human and non-human creatures alike that for more than 40 years has been an inspiring thread in the story of this place. Alexandra herself is a quiet force. She is a collage maker and a weaver. She is a passionate conservationist whose generosity and conviction has led to the restoration of hundreds of acres of habitat for native wildlife. And Alexandra is a poet. When I make a list of who I would want to wander the hinterland with, Alexandra sits right near the top. An artist most at home in the wild spaces. A friend of pythons and antichinus. A woman so familiar with both healing and suffering. Her small frame sinewed with story and with poems. Hinterland is wilderness, and wilderness is somewhere that I need to know exists. And I don't need to go there. I only need to know that it's there. Hinterland is underneath, maybe is behind us and underneath us and around us and and maybe is asserting itself no matter what we do on the surface. Maybe hinterland is always there, strong underneath, and maybe it is to do with where we've come from. I think I was very aware of how busy people are in the front of things, and I just kept needing to know that there were wilderness places still existing where no humans went. I would like it. I've always thought very much that I would prefer if humans decreased their numbers because they are now like a plague over the surface of the earth. And, and I would like it if other species the native species in Australia could just take over and we could be overrun by greater gliders. That would be wonderful. I have no fear of death. I don't like suffering. I have an absolute horror of the amount of suffering there is in the world. I feel, I have felt all my life to be surrounded by the amount of suffering there is in the world. It's very hard to imagine how anyone could want to hurt anything. Sometimes it's done by simply neglect, but sometimes it's done deliberately. And I find that not, not something I find easy to live with. But as far as my own mortality goes, I don't mind at all going back into the earth. I'm happy to do it at any time. 
sometimes I have found the amount of pain too much, especially with recent operation. And um, I have thought I want to go so much and I have begged nurses in the hospital. I've said, you know, I know it's hard for you, but you know how it's possible. Please, please help me. But then when I've come out of it, I've realised there's still so much more that can be done to make things better in, on the earth, to make things better in the wilderness the world with other species. So it feels worthwhile still to be around. But there was a time when my partner was killed and he was far, far too young to be killed. And after he died, the social worker in the hospital was obliged to interview me. And I just said, there's so much suffering in the world. And she said, no, it's in you. And I said, no, it is not. It is in the world. And she tried and she tried to convince me that it was within me. And in the end, she gave up. So she told me the story of Chiron, a Greek hero who was, I think, a centaur. And he had been wounded in his foot. And that wound could never be healed, but it had to be kept clean all the time. He became a healer himself. The wound gave him contact with the suffering of other creatures. And, and that is what I've held on to. That, it, that, that I can have some contact with the suffering of other creatures or other humans, which can be an advantage. When I was writing about there are no conversations between the mountain and the planet because we are the same substance, we are lovers, we are within each other, and that I never cease to marvel about that. And maybe it is like the indigenous thing of, you know, they don't own country. If anything, country owns them. But they're within country. Country is them. <laughs> Kausnitz is up against the two mountains. They are the guardians. They are the immovable. They are the constancy. I don't think they need to converse between themselves because they have such a good understanding. But as far as all other life is, they're there and the understanding is there and the connection is there at all times. And it only needs us just to sink back into it. I'm very lucky now to have a wonderful husband and I look at him and I think you could not be more different from me in every way so how is it that we are within each other we are the same substance we are the same substance <sighs> and I truly feel that I feel as though all living things are the same substance and even the rocks even the non-living things are the same substance and when we're unhappy, we think that there are divisions, but there aren't really any divisions. I mean, all the little 
well, even on a practical level, all the little bacteria and things are changing all the time and we're all made of the same microorganisms, which are actually a lot cleverer than we are. They can change and adapt a lot more easily. <laughs> being the mountain, it means wilderness. It means being there, being a backdrop, being stable, being part of the earth. It means being part of the earth more than anything else. I like being a backdrop. Even when I was really young, I didn't want to wear bright colors because I wanted to be part of the earth. And now, even now, I think how wonderful it would be to go back into the earth <laughs> with all those beautiful and feed all those wonderful little grubs and microorganisms and fungi and things that are under the earth. I am the mountain. What am I? I do not move. I am here always. I feel, but I do not act. Others are the actors. The rain and sun act. The wind acts. And the frost acts. The changes happen. I'm not the agent of change. I remain still. There is no possibility of movement. There is no desire for movement. I've always been here. The base is spread and spread over miles and acres. There is a continuum between the planet and me. We are the same substance, the minerals, elements, rocks, underground water. They are within myself and within the planet. We have no conversations. We are each other without the division of knowing. We are lovers. We are within each other. I'm cold now. It is dark velvet above the points of my two peaks. A sprinkling of silver lights on all sides, above and around. Nothing intrudes between me and the stars. A blanket of gum trees covers me on all sides with wattles between and below and underbrush and tussocks in the bare patches. Some of the oldest trees have dropped branches to this forest floor. Sometimes a hole is left in a tree where the branch fell out. If the hole becomes large enough, a greater glider may move in. Strawberry nose, shining black eyes. Here is a rest place. Now the yellow light begins. The grasses move in the sweeps of saline wind a kind of floating. These live things only rest in the rhythms of their movements. Bats biting out a swathe. Where my skirts reach into valleys, there is water, mostly moving, finding the places where it can travel easily, sometimes resting in flat pools. There is writing in the water. Look! Here is the crowded moon on the surface of the water, and here the fountain of stars, all the yellows. 
In some of my pools there are caryatids, pedestals of no purpose, rosy slabs and granite pillows. Taste one particle at a time of water, rock, flesh, air. Now comes the morning amber, light on the down of my breast, these lines of mist, unswallowed pieces of air, the nothing fabric. I'm the mountain, I'm always here. Rain falls through my ribs, a speckled pocking of drops on silk skin, ripples and ripples of hills and valleys where fish fly. Mud flesh covered by this grass hair. And here, smooth mist rain, blanketing, holding fast these people, these stones. You, clouds, scalloping the emerald air, wattle fluff in midwinter, hairy plateau, you hoary place. Frost can cling tight to leaf extremities, incrustations. Frost can bite, can sing. Ice has a way with rocks, too. Do tritons eat sliced stone? I'm the mountain. I remain still, the backdrop for all this glitter and magic. Some of my slopes are very steep and the trunks of the gums grow very long and straight and white. And kindness is at home here. The forest blocks the view and whispers to humans of dragons and death. This is the Neath world. They chip at its edges. Knives slice through the forest, making scars. Humans prefer shrubbery. The trees are holding out their leaves, food for sawfly larvae, those powdery slate-coloured boa constrictors garbled round patterning the dust, a nobbled madrigal, the children can call them spitfires. A gang of base cliffs, these stragglers, stubbling a samba, they have eaten a mosaic of chunks from the gum leaves. Bees and Christmas beetles too, clawing at the leaves and sometimes losing a footing and falling upside down, their gilded wings hidden and their brown belly armor exposed. They're grappling with the air. And the sugar gliders find the blossoms of swamp blackwood and make a feast of them, those hairy crimson gum nuts. In some places, the flatter parts, humans have eaten whole forests. They are perpetually ravenous. I'm the mountain. They mostly leave me alone to stare at the sky. In autumn, there are burnings, bombs of fire dropped from helicopters those large mosquitoes which pest at the middle air. My skin is sore. Many huge trees crash and others turn black. The underbrush sizzles. A confusion of wallabies, wombats, quolls, beetles and ants without direction, muffled by the smoke and surrendering easily. They die quietly. Who am I? Always the witness. My coat of dead leaves is removed in places. The ash makes a thinner coat. 
The rain washes runnels, a lacework of sooty channels. I'm old. I'm the mountain. It has happened before, and every morning the sun appears for the first time. The stillness remains. The wedge-tailed eagles are nesting in a high rocky place. They are older than any of the other creatures, but many of the candlebarks are older, and angophoras and tree ferns. The eagles hold their wings in a smooth curve and catch the updraft, a fringe of finger feathers from wingtip to mid-back. The neck curved a little, and the eye scanning the open places below. I have become very cold over millions of years, just as flesh bodies become cold before they become part of the earth again. They cool slowly until their substance is similar and mixes with grasses and dung and stones and dust, sawdust. There is sawdust on some of my slopes. The trees are mixing themselves back into the soil. They crumble slowly in tangles of broken branch and Bursaria spinosa. And there are mixtures of hair and bones and leaves. All these things make a coat over my slopes. Their rhythms change shape, are always moving. I'm the mountain. I'm in love with the stillness and the silence. It wraps me closely and then shatters and moves away, leaving space for explosions of energy and fevered activity. I'm the witness. I'm the backdrop. I'm the canvas beneath these passionate colors. The newest gum leaves are scarlet with an inside light, half born, half formed, no toughness or fiber. Embryos exposed to the sun, they are fingering the air. They know ways of allowing the sunlight to travel within them. I'm the mountain. There is stillness within me. On the outer skin are small scratchings. The sea has wrapped me with slight lappings. The sea is an emotional being. Every flicker of change is echoed and rippled and magnified. But all this reaches the utmost expression where the sky and the sea meet. Wrinkles on the sea's face, that is. Lower down in the colder, darker parts, there is less movement. Stillness and silence, those beloveds are back again. I'm the mountain, always there, a neighbor of the sea and the air. The mountain has nothing to say and everything to say. Are you hearing? Thoughts drift along in the trees, tops, and around the forest floor. But we return constantly to the solidity of restatement. I am the mountain. That alone is enough. Or even simply, mountain. Or, I am. Or nothing whatsoever. A blank page or just the air. You know it all. It is all within you. 
It is within me. Wild, and I've written a song which I've called 1770. Hinterland made me think of the land that sits behind the coast, made me think of this country that we live in, and made me think of the early European uh, travellers, explorers, such as Captain James Cook and how his exploration of the east coast of Australia and the coast of the Yuan nation was so cursory. How he landed and his crew landed only two or three times as they traversed the vast length of the east coast of Australia and only got a tiny taste or a tiny bit of knowledge as to what this place really is to the land that lies behind. And 
in the 250 years since then, I wonder how deep we, us interlopers in this land, how deep our knowledge really is of this place, or if we are still cursory explorers drifting past the coastline and the hinterland and the inland and the knowledge that lies in the country is still a cursory knowledge that we don't have access to. I've been fascinated by the journals of early colonial explorers, the snapshots of impressions, pictures of what to them was a strange land and the biases that ooze through their language in describing the traditional custodians of this land. So while I was thinking about these things and hinterland, I dug up Captain Cook's journal and grabbed a few of the words that he wrote passing this part of the coast. One thing I noticed is in his journal he repeats this phrase, certain signs. I'll read you a section from his entry from the 19th of April, 1770, before they hit the coast. Last night we saw a Port Egmont hen and this morning two more, a pintado bird, several albatrosses and black shearwaters. The first of these birds are certain signs of the nearness of land. Indeed, we cannot be far from it. Again, he repeats this phrase as he travels up the coast and sees the smoke rising from fires. And he says, we saw the smoke, a certain sign that this country is inhabited. Which makes me think about the myth of terra nullius. Which makes me think about Captain Cook's secret instructions that he was given to open after his mission in Tahiti, which said he was to go and explore this part of the world. He said, you are also with the consent of the natives to take possession of convenient situations in the country in the name of the King of Great Britain. Or if you find the country uninhabited, take possession for his majesty by setting up proper marks and inscriptions as first discoverers and possessors. So despite Captain Cook seeing these certain signs that the country was inhabited and meeting and interacting with the people who live here, before he departed the continent, he planted a flag on Possession Island in Torres Strait and claimed the entire east coast in the name of the king. I also noted Captain Cook observing three water spouts on the first or second day passing the Croajingalong coast and reading how those water spouts were a foreboding or warning sign of bad things to come.
Egmont Hen This morning two more A pintado bird Black sheer waters Certain signs The nearness of land We cannot be far The top sails close reefed Six saw land The southernmost point Nearly arise A fresh gale with squalls Attended with showers of rain Three water spouts A certain sign The weather being clear Ridges, plains Some few small lawns Covered with wood Hills and ridges rise They are not high Certain sign Pretty high mountains Covered with trees Lay inland behind country, all stout and lofty, near the sea beach, we saw the smoke, a certain sign. Satisfied I may land no more In the name of the king Took possession 
hoisted the flag A certain sign By definition, a hinterland is that land or country that exists outside, beside, or beyond. The dictionaries describe it as being remote areas of country, the land behind what is visible or known. It's a word that speaks to what is out there rather than what is within. But I wonder if there could be hinterlands that are made of flesh and bone. Sometimes the land beyond what we can see or know is an interior landscape. An illness can feel like an unmapped terrain. The body, a strange geography. When sickness comes into the life of someone we love, we can suddenly feel like a stranger standing on the outskirts of a land we don't recognize and we know nothing about. Do you know the sort of hinterland I mean? Have you ever, unexpectedly, found yourself in the midst of one? Would it be all right if I told you a story about a hinterland that emerged in the mind of a woman I love? about learning to live alongside such unknowable country, to be outside of her and still somehow within reach. Sometimes stories can help us make sense of things. I have neuropathy in my hands, you know, She says this on repeat, each time she lifts her fingers from the keys, turns away from the music, shifts in her seat. The playing, it's therapeutic, otherwise my hands, they seize right up. The repetitive explanation of her condition takes the place of a bow. It's after dinner, early evening, and we're in my parents' living room. I'm leaning on my father's baby grand, watching my grandmother's shrinking frame rest easy at the keyboard. It's a rare treat these days to get to listen to her play. I notice how much older she looks to me now. This last year of living has taken its toll. Her thin hair has grown long, but the fullness of her face is gone. She moves slow and cautious, her body aching with tired. Alzheimer's has taken root in my grandmother's mind like a noxious and unrelenting weed. 
Her moments of mental clarity and recognition are increasingly rivaled by confusion and anxious uncertainty. She doesn't talk about the disease. No one really does right now, not with her. My grandmother doesn't want to hear it, isn't ready to believe. Who would be? How can anyone make sense of their own unraveling? If our lives are tapestries woven out of stories and memories, then Alzheimer's is a sharp hook bent of rusty barbed wire. It is a disease that picks and pulls at even the tightest weave till there's a catch in the fabric, a loose end, a fray that no one can mend. It undoes a whole lifetime of warp and weft. The mind becomes a knotted mess. I watch and grieve as my grandmother moves through her days, increasingly tangled, continually dropping threads. But right now, in this story, we are around the piano and she is playing. And when my grandmother plays, she is present in the music. I watch her weary body change. Shoulders move back, chin juts out, her dark eyes focus on reading the notes. Her stiff and wrinkled hands dance with ease across the piano keys in a way her swollen Protestant feet never have. There is an open hymn book on the music ledge. The moment she finishes playing one song, I start earnestly flipping through its pages, searching for another. A chorus she might remember, an old melody her aching fingers would know. Amazing grace. It is well with my soul. His eye is on the sparrow. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? These hymns feel like ill-fitting remnants from my childhood. Hand-me-downs that I don't know what to do with yet, but can't seem to throw away. At once both familiar and strange. For my grandmother, though, they are melodies that wrap her in comfort. They sing truths that run deep in her blood. These old songs are stored in a part of her that Alzheimer's cannot touch. Their words a hope that shows no sign of decay. I lean in close to the songbook against the edges of my discomfort. I lean in close to her pale cheek so I can quietly sing along. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea 
billows roll Whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say It is well, it is well with my soul The words feel awkward and foreign on my tongue But I keep singing anyway I don't want her to stop playing. My grandfather comes in from the kitchen and his still strong voice takes the lead. He sings these old hymns as easy as breathing. There is a quiet mercy in this moment. Here at the piano, in the midst of the loose ends, the confusion, the dropped threads. Here with my grandmother's hands, which forget their pain, their dis-ease, when the music begins. Here there is respite from repetition. Here there is a reminder that our story is still being woven, that what is true in my grandmother will never be undone. I lean in to the music, to the smell of her skin. Here, in the melodies of these old hymns, for a moment I can't hear the heartbreak of her unraveling. I'm back on my porch, but the sun has now set. This afternoon's temperamental sky turned black without many stars. The chorus of frogs in the gully is loud tonight. When darkness falls out here, all my sight lines disappear. I can no longer trace the hills or the creek. The peaks of the range have melted away into wherever the horizon might be. There are no lamps on my little street. Other than the beams from the odd passing car, there's not a lot of light to illuminate the view. On dark nights like this, the whole world can feel like a wilderness. What felt known in the daylight becomes more mysterious. Beyond the reach of my fingertips, every motion, every sound becomes guesswork. Maybe it's out here, in the darkness, where the hinterland will always exist. Outside the glare of our searchlights and ambition, when our certainty falters, maybe that's when the wild edges can creep back in.
Thanks for being here and tuning in. Songs and stories always taste better when shared. This episode of the Candelo Roadshow Radio Hour featured the melodies of Melanie Horsnell, Robin Martin, Kate Burke, Pete Wilde, Heath Cullen, Sam Martin, and David Ross MacDonald. With special thanks to the community and creatures of Candelo for supplying the never-ending soundtrack. We are honored to live, work, and create this podcast on Yuan Country. We acknowledge that this land was never ceded. This always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Big thanks to the New South Wales government, whose financial support through Create New South Wales has made the making of the Candelo Roadshow Radio Hour possible. I'm Ray Kennedy. Thanks again for listening.